If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What a waste of time it is to try to make something better that isn't going to get better when you can tear it down and build it up again. It's a principle of the universe. Charlie, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm recording live and I'm 20, almost 23 minutes into the 4K recording. And Stan has had technical troubles with Zoom. So he's had to start over, which means that technically we're failing here. But I wanted to record a conversation with me calling you for consolation, because here's the thing. Our, uh, our episode is called Failing. And the, 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 it's also called Failing Well. And it includes starting over on a project. So, like, this is a good thing, right? Yeah, feeling well. Something we're well acquainted with in Draftsman. Later. Hi, well, Stan. Hi, Marshall. That's a forever. Sorry, I don't. I, I do this almost every day now, and, and then the camera just decided not to connect to the computer. So, well, it it only took. Uh, 30 minutes. What was it? Uh, almost 40 minutes, but it's what? okay. Oh my God, it was 40 minutes. <laughs> Jesus, that's just I a waste I had a good of... time, actually. Man. I called Charlie and I sought counsel from Charlie and Charlie simply said that there was nothing he could do. He's in another city. He has no idea what's happening here. You're like, uh, the camera's not connecting. What does that mean? <laughs> he let me know, but it didn't mean we didn't have a good conversation. Okay. Yeah. Did you see the Strengths episode so far for editing? Is this one that we recorded? I don't remember. Yeah, it's one anymore. that we recorded about two months ago. Okay. A month no. and a half or so. I have not seen it. And there was a reason that I brought it up. What was the reason I brought it Oh, oh, that was an episode where your energy was manic right from the beginning. I mean, from the minute, it's like, okay, and we're going to go. And I picked it up. <laughs> Should I do and that was, again? Yeah, it was it. it was exciting. Marshall, let's fail. Let's fail. Hey, let's, let's talk about failure. Dude, we have done it. We have failed this podcast, and now we we get a second, third, fourth, fifth, seventy second chance. All right, I'm excited. How are things in your life? I haven't talked to you. God, they're good. They're good. So we're recording this on June uh, June 10th. Yeah. Um, which means it's been about three weeks since we launched Proco 2.0 which is up on Proco.com right now, if you guys haven't heard of it. But yeah, I think we're done with the hard part. You know, like those, those first three weeks were really challenging. <laughs> because of technical things? No, just getting into the groove of publishing something every day and, yeah. and having a live stream like every, yeah. other, every other day and like new courses left and right. Um, just, yeah, just, just organizational challenges, like trying to get that, like our team has never done that before. 
Well, there was not a single day, uh, hardly an hour that I was not thinking about it and aware yep. that if I call you or John or Charlie or Sean or anyone else, like, uh, let's not bother them right now. They are at war. <laughs> we they are in war. the storm right now. So, let's yeah. wait till yeah. they have a, a chance to breathe. And we're not out of it yet. We're just used to being in it. <laughs> mm. I mean, we got events every day, sometimes two events per day, all mm -hmm. the way through the end of June. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, we're, we're still in it, but yeah, we're kind of used to it now and uh, we're good. We're good. <laughs> okay. Well, our topic today, you, now, how did you title this? Um, how to fail. How to fail, which has yes. been a theme that you brought up a number of times that failing is not as bad as people think it is. It's essential for growth and we need to learn to fail well. Yeah. And also, the title may be a little bit misleading. It's kind of a hook. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what we kind of mean by how to fail is that sometimes you'll have goals. We're probably talking more about long-term goals here specifically. Mm -hmm. And then things change because <laughs> these are long-term goals. Things yeah. are going to change in the long term. And when you adapt, in a way, you are failing at your initial goal, right? Yes. But... Correctly adapting to the environment and to things changing isn't really failure <laughs> if you do it well. And so, how to fail means how do you fail at some things in order to succeed at other things, other more important or other things that you would rather prefer to succeed at. Uh, that's kind of what I mean, and that's that's what we're gonna. I think we're gonna talk about today. It sounds like a basic principle of life. <laughs> but the, the word fail is so associated with pain that I can yeah. imagine a person looking at the Draftsman podcast title for the day and saying, fail, I don't want to fail. I don't want to <laughs> fail. I mean, I'm not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> fail. But those of you who got past that, you got yeah. past barrier one. Yeah. Good show. Well, the, the fact that it's painful to fail, I think, is one reason why it's important to understand how to fail because yeah. we will avoid it. Sometimes we're going to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. And what, that, what I mean by that is like sometimes we'll just keep going down a path that we set out for ourselves <sighs> to succeed at it when it's obvious that we should no longer be on this path anymore and we need to shift a little bit. You yeah. know, when we set long-term goals, we're, 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 we're walking into a really, really long forest and we have no idea what we're going to come across in our journey. And so, we, we have to go into it with a mindset of, I want to get there, mm -hmm. but I'm okay with, with the fact that I'm going into this like, this amazing world that I have no idea what's in it and I, I'm going to be open-minded about it. It's, it's a great principle. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. So, but it implies uh -huh. that if we fail and fail on things that are not just a one minute or 10 minute thing, yeah. we fail on something that might be a several days or a several years thing. Yeah. Most of the time, starting over seems hard and the feelings of failure can dominate and contaminate the experience. So, I, I, do you have a, an outline of stuff you want to talk about? Yes, kind of, but it's very loose. <laughs> okay. Do you want to just start or you want me to uh, start you with a question? Start me with a question. I'm curious what your question is. <laughs> what are your biggest failings that you took on again 
and succeeded. Took on again? What do you mean yeah, by that? I mean that you, you failed at that, but you said, that's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep doing at something it else. and then, yeah, come out on the other side successful. Okay. So, when I started, I wanted to be an artist. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Well, if actually, first of all, rewind even more. I wanted okay. to be an animator specifically. I set out right. to work for Pixar. Wow, that's interesting. Wow. I'm wearing a Pixar. I did not plan that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm wearing a Pixar shirt right now. I set out to, I wanted to work for Pixar as an animator. But then along the way, I learned that I don't want that. And so, I decided to fail at that even though I, I spent five years of my life learning animation, trying to get good at it. And it's very uh, tempting at that point to be like, God, I don't want those five years to be a waste. I got to keep going. I got to make sure I'm successful at it, at least for a little bit. But that's the wrong decision. If you, if you learn at some point that, no, I don't want this anymore, stop it immediately. <laughs> As soon as possible because every moment that you keep going down that path is another potentially wasted moment. Um, so, I decided, okay, no, I want to be a fine art painter. Okay, then I spent the next 10 years <laughs> trying to be a fine art painter. <laughs> and then along the way, I decided, you know, this whole fine art painting thing, I'm like, I'm, I'm still painting for other people. I, I'm just doing commissions and I'm painting for a gallery and... There's certain things that sell at galleries. And so, now I'm just like painting these things that I think are going to sell because I need to make money. And so, I was like, well, I don't know if I want to like, I still want to be a fine art painter, but I don't like this format. I don't like the way this works, this business model works. So, I want to figure out something on my own. So, so then I started just kind of exploring other options like, well, I was already teaching at that point. So, I just like, let's, let's start this YouTube thing. You know, let's start teaching more. I like teaching. Let's see where that leads me. And mm -hmm. so, I started using my, you know, everything I learned for those past 10 years to teach. And initially, I wanted to have a successful blog, a website where I teach with like articles. Then I had to shift from that and I started YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so far, all of these things that I started trying to make this thing successful have failed because I've said, no, let's try this other thing. And now, I have a successful YouTube channel, which 15 years ago, when I started this entire journey, when I walked into the forest, YouTube didn't exist. Huh. That, that couldn't have possibly been my goal. Yeah. Impossible. I, I didn't know that it was an option. It wasn't an option. And so, long-term goals, you can, it is impossible for you to know what you will be doing in a decade, in two decades. Yeah. Because the world will change, new opportunities will come that are better, like YouTube happened. And, and sometimes it just makes sense to go for it and do that. Um, hopefully, the shift isn't humongous. Like me shifting from art to teaching art and then from blogging to YouTubing, that was an easy shift. It wasn't really that difficult. Also, because I had an animation background, I already know how, I knew, knew how to edit video. So, all mm -hmm. that stuff did actually kind of come together eventually. Um, it's just that I had to fail at three things before I finally succeeded at the YouTube thing and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's, that's the biggest example in my life where long term you just cannot possibly know and so you have to be okay with just pulling the plug and going for that next thing. Okay. I'm cool. with you. Good example. How about you? I want to hear your example. 
Well, I've got I've got uh, several examples, but the big life ones mm-hmm. are setting out to be an illustrator of stories and humor and things like the illustrators I love so much. Mm-hmm. But this was way before the internet, and the opportunities to make money right. with art were for advertising agencies and illustrations of product. So I did not see it as a failure. I thought I saw it as a way to get money to at least be in my studio and get my craft up. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this is an this is a, a an aside, but I have a relative important in my life who just went out to try one entrepreneurial thing after another after another, and for more than a decade, for about fifteen years, failed at everything to the point of where and, and was incurably optimistic. <laughs> It did that's, not. It didn't make any difference when something had failed. He just, you know, looked at, hmm, okay, yeah, let's move on. And it would start to drive other people wild because <laughs> you just don't take responsibility. But he did take responsibility. Yeah. It's just there was a kind of reckless spirit. But I was watching this through my life. And then what's starting to happen into midlife, failure, failure, failure. And then one and then another of those things becomes successful and really successful. Mm-hmm. To where you know you now you get to live in a nice house and take time off and those kinds of things, but that was a lesson for me to see that when things don't work, it's not the time to sit down and cry and fall into the fetal position, curl up in the fetal position, though you may. But if you get up from it and be that way, that was that was a life lesson that was not told to me, but was exemplified over a period of, of many years. Yeah. That's a great example. I, I think that really shows that to be able to fail successfully, the title of this episode is How to Fail. How to Fail is the way that this family member failed, which is yeah. continue to, to yeah. walk, continue yeah. running towards success. Just because you tripped doesn't mean you should just stay down. Yeah. You should keep running, keep walking, whatever. Adjust. So, yeah, adju- exactly. Learn from the failure. That's that right. UDA thing. Yeah, That's adjust. That's O-O-D-O. Observe, orient, decide, act. And then when the action doesn't work, observe, orient, decide, act. Yeah. I hope I'm getting it in the right order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you tripped on a rock, well, now you know there's rocks. So, don't, don't trip on a rock anymore, right? Keep, yeah. keep an eye out for those rocks. Uh, if you trip because there's something wrong with your shoes, maybe you can adjust your shoes. Yeah. Um, whatever it is, yes, the, eventually you'll just get so good at at running that you're you're gonna get there. Um, but yeah, sometimes it takes decades <laughs> because this thing is hard. All of these things are really difficult. That's right. I mean, think about what the examples that you you used and I just used had to do with great big life goals. Right. That happen over a, a decade. That's that's a big deal. Uh, I have a story about the time that I painted an album cover for my brother's band when I had a week break in college, and uh, I tried to do it in airbrush, which right. I barely used in my life, and I didn't like the airbrush, and it was a nightmare, partly for not knowing how to use an airbrush. And there came a point after four days of investing in that album cover that I knew it could not be salvaged. And I can't remember whether I curled up in the fetal position or just slumped back in a chair for what felt like a life crisis. And the crisis was whether I should just give up 
on this job and damage my reputation as the family artist or start over. And it was not a long crisis. There was something in me. Here's the best I can describe it. I knew that I knew more now than I did four days ago. And in less than three days, that album cover practically flowed out of me. And it yeah. was the greatest album cover in the history of garage bands in our neighborhood. And that album cover never got printed. So, it wasn't like there was that much at stake and no client with money involved was waiting for it. Nice. By the way, I did do an album cover not long after that that got printed and the same thing happened. It was called Through the Fire and I had to do molten gold mm -hmm. with airbrush and I didn't know how to render gold and I was trying to make it look like the words were molten gold, but I could only... I've tried to make them look shiny, but I could only make them look like pee. <laughs> and so, my, my, my studio mate, John Dickinson, and I did everything we could. We melted solder and put a light next to it to see what light does on it and then it wasn't shining enough, so we put oil on it and we did find out that when there's a specular highlight that the other molten metal will will echo the highlight and you get little highlights bouncing around and then John suggested maybe put a horizon line in there but I abandoned after a lot of work of cutting masks I abandoned it did a second version and the second version looked pretty good and it did get printed so I was learning that on a job you can spend lots of hours mm -hmm. and figure that they were an investment yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing I really like about personal projects, whether they're paid or or whatever, like versus assignments from class where you're just like practicing some very specific thing. Like I, we've, mm -hmm. we've been talking about that, I think, uh, um, kind of frequently lately that you have to make sure that along with these courses you're taking, you just have personal projects because you'll run into things like this where you have real world problems that like no people aren't going to assign you this in class. Mm -hmm. Right. You just have to do real things and go through the process of figuring out how to find the solution on your own. Like for you, that experience of trying to figure out how to render gold was really useful because now you have a system for figuring out other problems that you're going to come across. Because mm -hmm. you went, you, you, you melted solder, right? Like you went yeah. through all these things. And it, every time it got you closer and closer to the final solution and that process of problem solving is incredibly important to just get good at problem solving. Yeah. And you get that more from personal projects. So, you get better at succeeding by failing <laughs> more initially and just like, How, what? No, does this work? No, does this work? There was another thing that I, I didn't intend to say this, but it, it ends up being perhaps useful. We were stabbing around in the dark. Yeah. We did not have any idea how to render metal. What do you do? Do you use gold paint? No, you don't use gold paint. <laughs> you <laughs> have to render it. Right. And when you do one job, it tends to lead to another. I got hired by another speculative movie producer. He was uh, putting together a poster for a film called The Spartans. And he wanted me to do uh, shiny chrome lettering. And I recognized I'm going to get myself into the same... This had a deadline. Uh, I'm going to get myself into the same position. I was experimenting with reflections that were all over the place. It was chaos. And then I thought, okay, 
I know Rick Griffin. I've got his home phone number. He's not the most receptive guy, but he might take pity on me as an early professional. And I called him and I said, I'm doing shiny metal and it's not working. And you know how to do shiny metal. Could you help me? And he said, yeah, come over. So, I showed him my preliminary work and he pointed out the most obvious thing. It was beveled letters. So, that means the chrome that's facing you is a mirror. It's going to show whatever's in front of it, which would be a horizon line probably and a gradated sky and maybe a concrete parking lot or palm trees or whatever. And he pointed out the inconsistency that if this bevel is facing up and so is this one, I don't see how, how come they're not showing the same thing. And if this bevel <laughs> is facing down, I don't see why it's not showing the same thing the other. How did I never think of that? But it was like, all right, all right. And I went home and figured every bevel that was facing a particular way is simply a mirror. So, if it's red over there and it's green over there and it's black down here and it's blue up there, just do it. And I remember my dad seeing this. I was in my early 20s, a new illustrator. My dad seeing this lettering of the Spartans and saying, wow, you did that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my I'm God. I'm learning how to render. Now, I think the point of this is that instead of stabbing around in the dark, it does help to have a mentor, a counselor, a teacher. Yeah, of course. Uh, a course that you've taken in rendering that talks about the logic of light. <laughs> yes. Okay. Where do we go from here? Well, one other thing about that. You, you said that you guys were like stabbing in the dark. Yeah. Right? Every time you stabbed, you were expecting to fail, right? No, I was expecting to succeed. Why not? I'm, I'm a good artist. Play, I'm just going <laughs> to Well, but are you, were you really expecting to succeed? Every time you went for it, you're like, oh, this one's going to work. Or were you yeah. like, let's see if this one works? Uh, Stan, <laughs> I think I was expecting to succeed every time wow. because I had that quality Interesting. that is, what does people call it? The D Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah, some, yeah, something like that. I figured... Yeah. I'm an artist. I'm an illustrator. I've declared myself so. Yeah. I'll do it and everybody will say, you are an artist. So, the, the, the surprise and the disappointment to find out, hey, this is, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, that happened to me many, many times in the first yeah. parts of my career and all the way through. It still happens. Only I think that what happens as time goes on is what Saul Bass talked about in that Strathmore interview that you start to learn that this is the way. Your first attempts will fail, so don't freak out. Yeah. It's the difference between the two or three-year-old who melts down and the seven-year-old who starts to see, I'll try it again, is that we get control of the emotional disappointment enough to, to get into the zone of a newfound optimism based on what we now have called experience. Okay. Well, the reason I asked that, <laughs> I wanted you to say, yeah, I was expecting it, but no, okay. So, <laughs> I do now. I do now know to, uh, to fail the first few times. Okay, or, cool. Or several times, yeah. Yeah. So, the reason I'm going with in this is because I, I think it's really important to be, to experiment. Um, and when you're experimenting, you can't, 
expect to succeed. Right. Because if you expect to succeed every time, you're just going to get sad when you fail 10 times in a row. Um, but the funny thing about ex going into it with this playful mindset of just like, let's see if the, what happens. And if it, if it doesn't work out, that's cool. I'm just going to, I'll adjust and we'll see what happens then. Yeah. The, the funny thing that happens with that is like, you, you get a better result. I know. <laughs> it's, it's weird. This happened to me last night. Uh, Christian and I, were, we just decided to be like, screw it. We're not going to work anymore tonight. We're just going to paint for three hours. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess we kind of drained, I guess, from so much work. So, we painted. The, the last three hours of the day, we, we just like started painting. And we, um, and I was like, you know, I've, I've been admiring fashion for so long. And like, I just want to, let's just try it. Let's just see if I could like do some stuff that looks like fashion. And I knew that this was an impossible task. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to paint like fashion. And so, I went into it with just like playful, I don't care if I get a good painting. And I got a really good painting. It's like the best I've, I've done in a really long time because I was just playing. It's a great irony of life that the harder we try, the worse we can do. Yeah. No single brushstroke made me sad. Yeah. It, I never had a moment of, oh man, I suck. I was, it was always like, huh, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. It's it's also really exciting just to hear you say it. Yeah. It makes you think this is the first zone of creativity. You want me to, here, I'll, let, me, let me show you. Yeah, I want to see. Okay. Nice picture of Christian, immediately recognizable as the man. Another thing about this though is I wasn't trying to paint Christian. Uh -huh. I was I was just playing. Yeah. I was experimenting. I did I didn't even try, I did not try to get a likeness. And yeah. then I think it kind it kind of looks like I'm like I, I could totally see things that are wrong. But I didn't even during that thing when I saw yeah that's wrong. I didn't try to fix it. Um, I was just playing, uh, messing around, and yeah. sometimes I would see. Oh, this lip shape is totally not Christian's lip shape, but I kind of like where that shape is going. Let's keep going. Yeah. Let's design this shape to just look cool. And I think in the end, it, it was just a much more interesting painting. And I'll, we'll, I'll just post a link to uh, a better version of this because yeah. I don't know if you could even see it that way. Yeah, well. I, I see it very um, well. Stan, it reminds me of what a number of actors have said is that one of the worst things we can do or, or that an actor can do is to impersonate someone for their, the details uh, and, and try to get it precise. That The better thing is to get inside the, their skin and feel their feelings and let all of the details come from that. Hmm. It's picking up a spirit. It's picking up a, a sense of exploration and inventing something new based on it rather than yes. trying to re replicate it. I was definitely basing this whole thing off of Christian's shapes, mm -hmm. right? I wasn't just like, yeah, whatever, I'll just do the wrong stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the shapes and doing something, but when something happened that was that surprised me, I went with it. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's totally different from a commission where... If something happened and it's wrong, I have to fix it yeah. instead of just like continuing on the journey of like, oh, well, this is interesting. Let's, yeah. let's change it. Yeah. Let's fail at <laughs> painting Christian and let's paint something else that is maybe better, maybe more interesting. I don't know. I mean, Christian's a cool dude. <laughs> but, but you have the luxury 
of failing. I did. Yeah. I did. And it's that's the important thing is that you have to create scenarios in your life where you have the luxury of failing if you can. Try to go, try to go for that is put yourself in situations where failing is okay and you get to create something new instead of a very, very specific task yes. that has a very specific and uh, unchangeable destination. That pressure which has its good and bad points, it's the, but it's the reason why Francis Ford Coppola stopped being a filmmaker. Uh, or at least he said this in an interview. Francis Ford Coppola directed at least one of the greatest films ever made, uh, or, or at least two, uh, Godfather and Godfather 2. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but he also did some of the worst films ever made. And he said once in an interview, that, that let me, I'm paraphrasing, but it was, let me tell you what it is like making a film. It is like being chased by a freight train where you're on the tracks running from the freight, tra freight train. And while this is happening, people are saying, be creative, be creative, be creative. <laughs> and there just comes a point where the pressure can be so much that it becomes almost impossible to do your best work. One thing I wanted to bring up is... Um it's very much related, but like unrealistic expectations yeah. for yourself. So, a lot of us have art parents, right? We had a whole episode on it. We tell people, choose your art parents, your favorite artists, and these are the, the people you're going to strive to be like. They're like your role models. Well, this kind of puts us in a, like a slightly dangerous position where we judge ourselves. We compare ourselves to these art parents. We want to be like them. And that's not always good. Like sometimes, yes, sometimes we, we want to keep going and trying to change ourselves to be like them. But we have to realize that a lot of times these other artists, they lived in a different world. They had different problems they were solving than us. We live in 2021 or 2022, whenever you're listening to this, they lived in the early 1900s or even before that, you know, like they, they don't have the same environment as us and we cannot possibly be like them. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow. Everyone's talking about AI. Everyone. But where do you start? How can it actually help your business? The ServiceNow platform brings intelligence into every corner of your company. So every person, every system, every process, everything works better. Put AI to work. Tap the banner or go to servicenow.com slash genai to see how. So, we, we have to have realistic expectations for ourselves, yeah. you know? It, it's, it's almost impossible, I think, for, for sculptors to be like Bernini today. Why? I don't know. I just think it's, it's, it's really, really challenging in today's world for someone to get as good as Bernini. But I also think it was really challenging for anyone at that time to get as good as Bernini. Oh, of course it's challenging. But the thing is, like, 
they didn't strive to have a balanced lifestyle and have a healthy family relationship, right? Like all these things are very important to us and they should be. But back then, Bernini or whoever could have, they, they spent their entire life just doing this one thing. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a, a fanatical focus. Yes. And, and I think it's really difficult in today's culture to be like that. But to get that good at something that challenging where you're carving rocks, we have a disadvantage, I think, to get that good. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned Bernini. I didn't. Yeah. But in the last month and a half, I've got two Dover books that they are the only two art books that I've been putting my head in and I'm going to for the next few months. One is Frederick Remington for gesture for horses. The other is uh, the Bernini book that Dover uh, published for mm -hmm. technique. The fact that he could put washes down so effortlessly, it's just, it it, it amazes me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, yes, even last night, I was going through that Bernini book and thinking, this guy's technique is is beyond belief. Yeah. Uh, his, his great portraits too, you know, I think of the great portrait artists and I think of Rembrandt, John Singer Sargent, Fetchin, and then I forget Bernini captured personality in there as well as just about anybody. Now, but that's just love of Bernini. Yeah. What well, were you one say? other thing, one other thing about just being in a living in a certain time. Specific times have specific instructors that people are learning from. Right. Information that is being passed around that is considered important mm -hmm. and that people really uh, cling on to, like. You know, a, a lot of really good illustrators were trained by Bridgman, mm -hmm. right? We can't yeah. be trained by Bridgman. Yeah. We're being trained by Bridgman knockoffs or, or people who are trained by Bridgman and or trained by people who are trained by trained by trained by Bridgman, yeah. people who are trained by Bridgman, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like we're getting different information and I'm pretty sure we're missing something that something really important that Bridgman said to those artists that made them click, something click that made their art really good and we're never going to get that effect of something. Or maybe someone will discover it again, but... Part of it may be the uh, the... the electricity that comes out of the relationship with that particular teacher too. Exactly. Now, yeah. That was the case in the 70s, 80s, 90s uh, with Baron Story as well in the Bay Area that he was teaching so many illustrators that ended up being great illustrators uh, were his students. And I started to find out how many people were good. I said, who did you study with? Oh, we studied with Baron Story. Uh, so, yeah, but see right now though, Here's what's so good about it is that you don't have to go to the Bay Area or New York or Florence or any of the, these places because the knowledge is is around and the conduits of where you can get it is better than ever. So, I think what you're addressing is that the, the, the teacher is one thing, but there are so many good teachers right now. There's, there's no shortage of what do you want to learn that you can't find from a teacher. I think that it's the lifestyle that you were pointing at is that we are distracted. I was pointing, I'm pointing at everything. I'm pointing at everything. Yes, I think right now it's probably, it's easier to get information for sure. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of different things, everything around us affects who we become. Mm -hmm. And we can't try to be just like someone who lived a hundred years ago. You're right. They, we can't. Because we just have so many different inputs than they did. Okay. So, we can be better than them in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
but we're also going to be worse than them in many ways. We're just going to be different. So all I'm saying is that it's really difficult to judge ourselves, compare ourselves to other these people who lived a long time ago. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make sense. It's okay to try to learn from them, but to compare and then feel like we're failing because we're not like them is wrong. They're, they're, it's, we're not trying, we shouldn't even try to be exactly like them. No. We should just cherry pick things. Indeed. Yeah. Now, let me, let me throw out, I, I, I absolutely agree with you, Stan. That is the case, is that you, if you just choose one parent or three parents, and, and especially if they're previous to your generation, which I think they should be, and you say, I must be just like them. No, that's not, that's not wise. When I'm choosing Frederick Remington, who is way out of my league, this guy just knew how to draw and paint and sculpt so powerfully. But to use him as a touchstone right now, because I do know how to do it, I just can't do it as well, means that I might go on 100 steps, I might go from 50 or 60 to about 70 or 80 to get up to the 100 that he's at. No, I, I totally agree with that because it's very important to use art parents as touchstones. I mean, that's the whole point of art parents is that, I, I, you know, I'm not saying we need to just like not even look at them. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like they're, they're very important. Yeah. I was looking at Fession's work when I was painting this, yeah. when I was painting Christian because I wanted to learn something from him. Yeah. I, I, there's something about his work that I just absolutely admire and I want to figure out how I can get some percentage of that into mine. <laughs> so, right? what, what happens next with your fetching uh, attempts? Do you do another one and then if it fails, you fall down and say, I'll never try again? No, of course. If I fail and fall down, I'll just try again. I, I was just having fun. I loved I the know. experience. Marshall, I don't paint anymore to sell paintings. I paint to enjoy the process and I yeah. had a blast doing that oh, painting. If it, what a and it doesn't look just like a, a fashion. There's qualities of it that I think, hey, I actually did a pretty decent job. Like yeah. the background, when, you, when we have a link in the description, you guys will see the texture in the background. I think I did a pretty good job yeah. of my palette knife technique in the background. It looks very similarly to how his backgrounds look. And I was very proud of that, but like a lot of the parts in the face, no, they're not fashion at all. Like I was trying, but no, they failed. But I had a lot of fun getting into the mindset of trying to paint like him. Still yeah. gave me really good results that I I enjoyed doing. Right away, I could see that you had hard edges and then edges where you lost the edges, which he does so much of, and which and, and that immediately looked like this was. It had a rightness to it to do but that. I, but the, also, the trying to get all those very natural textures in there that mm -hmm. look like they just kind of came out of the ground. <laughs> mm -hmm. They came from the earth instead of a, a, a brush with hairs on it that are all parallel. Yeah. <laughs> right? That, that kind of quality is, is really big in his work, I think. Take a look at your outline and see where we are. I have pivoting, but we did kind of cover a little bit in this top in this discussion already. But give me a short definition of pivoting. It, yeah, like like if you're on the path to get somewhere and you realize you're heading in the wrong direction, you got to turn a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't have to be you turn around 180. You just mm -hmm. shift two degrees to the right. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to adjust, reanalyze where you are all the time in your journey, and pivot to towards a different destination that you think is a better destination uh, for whatever reason. So, I don't know, it, it, could, it could apply to anything. I mean, if you're on Instagram and it's just not working for whatever reason, try TikTok. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It happens like um, Christian has a friend who was uh, does guitar stuff. Um, and I forgot his name. Sorry, we could we could put it um, in the description as well. Um, but he was on Instagram for a while, nothing happening. Tried TikTok, he exploded. <laughs> what? Wow. A, I don't know. The audience is different. The type of content he was making maybe just fits better on on TikTok. Yeah. But then he pivoted towards TikTok because it was better. But that I mean, that's a, that's a, such a specific example. I don't know. It, it won't apply to everybody. But it is the same principle that Derek Thompson was. Uh, using in hitmakers, mm-hmm. is that it doesn't work? It doesn't work. It doesn't work, and then you one little thing changes. Yeah, and it it one little thing pivots the whole failure to success. Yeah, it's not like he shifted careers. He was still right. trying to teach little, you know, teach guitar stuff with little videos on social networks. Yeah. So this is a big lesson: is that even though you can't tell what's in the forest. If you're going to go into the forest and you're alive and awake and responding, you can make a difference. When you see this is in that direction, that is in the other direction, I make a choice. Whereas we can't make a difference if we just didn't go any further into the forest because we didn't know what was ahead. Yeah. But see, we, we keep bringing up these success stories where failure led to success. Mm-hmm. Sometimes... And I, I, I lived through a, a, like a full decade of this feeling where I keep failing. Mm-hmm. And how, like, it's like, how do you live with that for so long without quitting? How, how, how do you feel good about failure? <laughs> Is essentially, how do you stay motivated with, while failing? You got an answer? I do. Is when I had my heart broken at the Uh age of 19, a girl who I was crazily in love with, Uh but who was not quite the same in love with me and just wanted to be friends. And all of my family and everyone who knew us said, oh, you two together. And then when, when I called my best friend to let him know that she didn't want me anymore, this was a landline at his home. She answered the phone. Ah. <laughs> and I remember I was so shattered by this. Is this a movie? <laughs> this is a movie, right? No, this was, this was my real life. I was so shattered by that. And I was driving along the freeway and my, my grief shifted from, from sadness to I don't have to deal with a relationship right now. I can put my energy to art and do what I've wanted to do, which is to try to be an artist and not spend all of my time with it was really? now you can say it was sour grapes. It was. Do you know the story about sour grapes? No. The fox tries to get this is an Aesop's fable, I think. The fox tries to get the grapes, uh-huh. fails to get the grapes, and then says, Hmm, they were sour grapes anyway. Oh, maybe they weren't sour though. They're, the fox is just making up a story. Yeah, it's just just justification, okay. and that was going on in me. It's like if yeah. if I can't go that route, I've got another route that I've declared I want to go anyway, and this will free me up, and they can go play together. But I'm going to work on my art so that I can be a professional artist in the yeah. next few years. You, you so pivoted. <laughs> I pivoted, and I also <laughs> pretty big I, pivot, but I still grieved over it for the next several weeks or months, yeah. but. I didn't act on it. I act, I didn't act on the thing that I can't get. It's like this simple, 
it simplified my life. Your brain wasn't stuck on it. Yeah. Yeah. It actually turned into optimism and it turned into optimism in a short period of time. There was a sense of, okay, this is a provision to not be engaged in that relationship. Yeah, I had the same feeling when I was let go from Watts. Um, I was like, I, it, you know, for several hours, I was like, man, that sucks. I really liked it. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I got this thing going that I really like doing. I'm mm -hmm. a YouTuber. And then I was just like, oh my God, I have so much time now <laughs> to focus on this. And it was great. Um, but but still, I don't know if that answers my Maybe it does. It does maybe answer my question. It might because my next relationships didn't succeed either. So. <laughs> okay. So, then what if you then failed at being an artist and then you pivoted to something else and then you failed at that? I mean, eventually, like, what do you what do? you Because do? That, that's going to happen to some people. Yeah. It was happening to me. I just kept starting all these businesses and it wasn't succeeding. And I was like, it was, it was years and years. Like, what did I started at like 17 trying to do this and then it wasn't until when I was 26 or when, when my YouTube channel actually started to make enough money to to move out <laughs> my parents yeah. house. Yeah. I mean there was there were there was a series of of so many failures in there that I mean I never actually was sad about it but I don't know why I wasn't. I, I I'm trying to figure it out. Well, if it why. was to keep happening for 15 years, it would either mean that this, when your success happens, it's going to happen. It just takes a long time for this plant mm -hmm. uh, to blossom and it looks very unblossomy in the meantime. Or the other thing, which is that what if we're self-sabotaging? What if the reason we're not succeeding is because of what we're doing wrong and are blind to? And that is where inviting counsel, that is where having truth tellers in our lives that will say the thing that here's why it's happening is that you do this, this, and this. And uh, when you get that from more than one of your people who care about you, uh, or even more interestingly, a therapist doesn't necessarily care about you. <laughs> Yep. Which means that they have the luxury of not letting you can't punish them later for having told uncomfortable truths. It's their job to tell an yeah. uncomfortable truth. And so there it's getting feedback, feedback from someone who's got sensitivity to what's going wrong where we don't have it because we can justify our every crazy or dysfunctional action. Can you give me an example of self-sabotage in for like as an artist? Yeah, lots of them. Yeah, please. But w one of them is a famous illustrator who people wanted to hire him because he was a famous illustrator. But whenever they hired him, they found out he was the most unreliable guy you could find. And there came a point where within his industry, uh, it wasn't advertising, uh, within his industry, people just didn't want to hire him anymore because the stories got around that he was irresponsible, that he was so famous and uh, respected by fans that he could just not meet deadlines or give you something that you didn't order. That is an example but of Is that self-sabotage? That's self-sabotage because he what? made less and less money as time went on and was- I thought uh, self-sabotage is when you are doing it to yourself even though you know 
it's going to hurt you. It's like you're you're intentionally sabotaging yourself. He no, he wasn't intentionally sabotaging himself. He was just giving in to his impulses. Yeah, but that's I mean, you you can say that any negative trait about us is self-sabotage. Yeah, you could. If it's <laughs> if it if it so- goes unchecked and it damages what you're seeking, then it is self-sabotage. It means huh. it is not the road that's causing the tr- trouble. It is not the weather that's causing the trouble. It's the car itself that is breaking down and not able to keep going. Hmm. Uh, some theologian called it the interior castle. It's the reason why it's not just the problems outside the castle. Sometimes it's the problems inside the castle that make the castle uh, fail. Yeah. See, I thought it was more that like we, deep down we are afraid to succeed and so we're oh. like doing little things to to stop ourselves from getting there. It was like a more psychological, that's what I thought it was. That is another thing. It is? That's pro- <laughs> that, it's probably a better definition oh, okay. where it's, where it's, it's unconscious yeah. that you say, I really want to do this, but if I do this, I could make money. And if I make money, I can't depend on that other person to support me. Right. Or if I do this, my social life will change and I will not be able to spend as much time with my friends and I sure don't want to make them mad because I'll be on the road most of the time. So, I'll make sure that this doesn't happen. Yes. And it's subconscious. You're not literally thinking, eh, That's right. I'm going to be a, a dick and, and, and try to just yeah. leech off of my parents for a little bit longer. Yeah. It's, it's deeper down. Your subconscious is m- making you make these bad decisions because you're afraid of something successful happening. A friend of mine found that out in therapy that he, he was letting his health go terribly and he sort of rooted it out with a ther- therapist that one of the reasons it looks like you're letting your health go is that you've been wounded so badly in relationships that if you've got terrible health, nobody's going to want a relationship. It's going to be hard for anybody uh. to want a relationship with. And so, therefore, you're going to be safe from that kind of pain. Mm. You'll take the other kind of pain, which is what you do to your body, yeah. but you'll never have to experience that one you know so intimately. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the self-sabotage that is secret. Yeah. Or you, you and you, all your art friends are all struggling to become successful artists. And when you get that opportunity that might be the big break for you, you feel like, oh, but my friends are going to get jealous. And so, you yeah. sabotage yourself from getting that. You do yeah. something that messes up your chances because you don't want to mess up this, this bond you have with your friends. There was, a, there was a movie that Anthony Hopkins was in before he was the big star he became later where he was a ventriloquist. Uh, I think it was called Magic. Anyway, it, that was a grueling portrait of self-sabotage uh, with this, this guy who was an entertainer in, in nightclubs as I recall. Uh, it's a, a depressing portrait of self-sabotage but sometimes looking at a self-portrait like that, uh, another one, the one that was most powerful to me just personally and emotionally, even though I'm not an an athletic or, or a fighter at all, is Raging Bull. If you mm. haven't seen Raging Bull, uh, see it on Blu-ray in, in full screen. It's, it's difficult to endure, but it is a powerful, uh, masculine uh, portrait of self-sabotage. And Blue Jasmine, is a really pathetic, very, uh, again, very difficult to, to watch portrait 
uh, feminine portrait of self-sabotage. But those are those are negative pictures that our responsibility to to not be like that is what they trigger. So I want I want to show you where you're going if you continue the way you're going. Yeah. We've, we've been keeping it pretty positive up till now. So, I suppose throwing in a yeah. negative counterpoint might be useful. Yeah. And I, I, you know how I said that I wasn't, sh I'm not sure why I stayed positive throughout like the 10 years of failure and not being able to support myself. I think I might know. I, I think maybe it was because I always had several things going on. Mm -hmm. And so, when one thing failed, I was still excited about that other thing that I'm currently working on. Yeah. So, the one thing goes down, leaves room for that next thing to just get more exciting for me. Yeah. And it would just immediately replace that emptiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I didn't have time to, to, to be sad about that thing that just failed because I was excited about the next thing. Yeah. I think also, from the conversations we've had, I think that your family of origin gets some of the credit for this, that you mm. were raised with a balance of encouragement and admonishment that was, if it's too much one way or the other, that's where we fall over. But if it's you know, balanced in the middle that I am encouraged and I am held responsible, then we can mm. keep from falling over on either side. And when we did the strengths discussion, yeah. one of your strengths was self-assurance. This guy is like one of those okay. things that you knock over and he goes right back up. You knock him over the other way and he goes back up. You've got a sort of base okay. of um, emotional stability that allows you to be knocked over and pop right back up. Okay, cool. This is free therapy. <laughs> Thank you, Marshall. I feel good. <laughs> Do you know who Baron's story is? No. You want me to look him up? Stan, he's a great illustrator that also did fine art and did he did, did, did everything, 70s, 80s, it's spelled B-A-R-R-O-N-S-T-O-R-E-Y. Uh-huh. And so many great illustrators had him as a teacher, so he was multi-accomplished. Mm. And he came to speak at a school where I taught and he showed his career, which was fascinating, and the varied things he did and his intense convictions. And I had heard that he made his students do work, finished work, that they had to tear up in front of the class. Oh, you did tell the story. Okay, but I might not have told the whole story. Yeah, okay. I'm in there in the room sitting on the front row with one of my students. And after he opened it up for questions, I asked the first question. I said, is it true that you would have students do finished work and make them tear it up in front of the class? And he looked a few ways and he said, are you saying I'm an asshole? And I said, <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I think he picked up from my vibe. I said, I've heard that that's what you do, but I want to hear from you that that really is what you do. And he could tell I was respectful and I really wanted to know. And then he launched into a passionate speech with flailing of arms, that have you ever noticed that tweaking never makes a piece any better? And that you've got to tear down and rebuild, tear down and rebuild. Shiva <laughs> is a many-armed god. That is, it, it must destroy before you can make something come alive again. And I mean, it just, he was just like a volcano. And that 
dominated the whole rest of the entire question and answer time about what a waste of time it is to try to make something better that isn't going to get better when you can tear it down and build it up again. It's a principle of the universe. That was amazing. I kept thinking, if I had had this guy as a teacher, when I was 19, I might have been a great artist so that I would not have had several years of continuing to invest in wasn't what wasn't working, but have gotten in the habit of tear it down and build it up, tear it down and build it up and enjoying doing that like a child who builds with blocks very carefully and then knocks it down and, and rejoices, giggles when they knock it down because it means they got an opportunity to build it all up again. Yeah. And that, that no, kind great. of spirit. Yeah. Frazetta did that. I've seen Justin Sweet do it. I've, I know of a lot of, there are filmmakers also. It's hard to do that with film, but sometimes right up until the end, you change it. Yeah. Yeah. When you told that story last time, we went and I mentioned that Pixar did that with several of their films. Yeah. They just took the, you know, it wasn't working. The story wasn't working and the story is the most important part. So, they started over with the story. That's right. We did. Yeah. But start, starting over can be one of the best things in the world when it's yeah. chosen and embraced and a newfound energy of look what I've learned from doing it wrong. Now, watch me again. Yeah. Get knocked down again. Ah, look what I've learned now. That is the energy that I think makes people great at what they do. Yeah. But I'm glad you told that story again because that was a much better way. You, you told that story so much better when you started over. <laughs> Thank you, Stan. Yeah. You're so sweet. Yeah, yeah. By the way, look up on YouTube, Temple of Art, Paper Plane. This is an, a one minute, 49 second video. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's, it's Baron's story. He mentions in there that he is absolutely dedicated uh, and addicted to the process. I am a man. I am an artist. I am a failure. And I must proceed. And he mm. is really like big on you you get into the process of creating art and then all of the result of it is a love of that process, which includes his willingness to scrap it. I love that. That's great. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us. Bye, everybody. Thanks for watching.